Welcome to our website. Subscribe. The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. We want to welcome you to our podcast today. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your host. We welcome you to our podcast today. We are very excited to continue in our series called The Abiding Life of Christ. When I first heard the term abiding life in Christ, hate to say it, but I did not read that out of the Bible. I heard about the abiding life in Christ out of a little book called Abiding Life in Christ. It was very exciting to read what I was reading out of this little book because it really inspired me to understand what really is in, packed in, what's in the package of having the life of Christ inside a a true born-again believer. So thankfully, I was one of these indwelt Christians, born-again Christians, whatever it is you want to call us, I was very excited that very early in my faith that I was introduced to this whole idea of the abiding life in Christ. Now, most of you listeners are listening right now, whether you're driving down the freeway or you're sitting in your church in a re-podcast or however it is that you're listening to this message, and you are probably thinking right now, well, I can tell you exactly what comes to mind when we talk about the abiding life. I think about the vine and the branches. And that is the illustration that Jesus uses to explain the abiding life in himself. So let's do a quick review on that. Who is the owner of the vineyard? God. God the Father. Who is the branch that comes from the ground that is rooted in the nutrients that the owner of the vineyard worked very carefully to make sure that that soil was rich with nutrients? Jesus Christ. Exactly. So he is that that vine branch that comes out of that soil that is rooted in the original nutrients of God's garden. Which, by the way, before Adam fell, even this earth was pure that way. But after Adam fell, there was a consequence given to Adam. First thing out of his mouth was, cursed is the ground that you walk upon. If you look up curse in the Hebrew in that particular passage, It means defiled, made bad. So the ground itself got cursed, not Adam. I don't care what your church has been teaching you or what you've been reading about or whatever. Man did not get cursed. The ground got cursed. But yes, man did fall from grace. Grace is one of the 43 names, Hebrew names of God. And there was a detachment that took place between God and man. And it got into his seed, 
And so every time Adam had a child, that child was born with what? Sin. Sin is classically in the Hebrew and particularly in the Greek classified as what is of sin nature. So that helps us understand teachings that you've probably heard from many preachers through the years. And that is that man is born into sin. Therefore, man is born with the Adamic nature. Man is born with a sinful nature. Man is born separated from God. Much of the writings in the New Testament use that terminology. So now we have God in pure nature. And we have Adam now in the Adamic nature. When we bring that into the illustration of the vineyard, there is no vineyard on the face of the earth. There is no spiritual arena anywhere that has pure nutrients in the soil anymore. Except for one particular vineyard. The abiding life of Christ. Now, what's inside a branch? And what is that sap producing within that branch? You can literally cut a tree open and see it, or you can cut a a branch open and see it. What is it we see? The sap runs through cords. A cord of three strands is not easily Broken. broken. That illustration was given to us by Solomon, and he was basically addressing the whole issue of independence. You can't do it on your own, and you're not your own branch, basically. And those cords, which is what is resulting from all this sap, it's how that sap is traveling up into to produce fruit. It's not just a channel of sap. Some cases, you know, you will find the sap directly, but... It's usually creating this cord that binds. That was our message last week on binding bondage to righteousness, binding bondage to unrighteousness. Each will produce a binding. And the more years that you put in this process, the more stubborn the person becomes. So you get someone 80 years of age and they've had year after year of coming from this perverted soil, you have the understanding on why God cuts off or prunes or removes certain branches. And that is what he is going to be doing with Satan directly and his spirits. They'll be cast to the ground. They're not on the ground yet. They'll be cast to the ground. And they will be bound up. And then just like a heap of wheat gets bound up, each individual pieces of wheat, it'll get bound up and tossed into the eternal flames forever and ever and ever. So the same thing can be passed over into those who never discover the abiding life. I know that the average listener does not want to hear about people being bound and tossed into eternal damnation, eternal flames, forever. So now we live in a culture where the talk of hell 
is rarely used in sermons. It's rarely used in helping someone understand the difference between the two plantings. The tree of life, which is the illustration Jesus is talking about with the vineyard, and the tree of knowledge, which is built and functions exactly the same way. It is rooted. It has sap. It's creating year after year, ring after ring. And those who come from the tree of knowledge are going to be cut off, bound up, and thrown into the pit of hell. Yes, I said it. That's hell. H-E-L-L. Right now it's Hades. It's a temporary holding tank. It's a prison cell. But it's going to shift from the term Hades to hell, as it does in the book of Revelation, as a final condemning place of those who refuse the vine to become a branch, to have fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's 602, 292, 2982, something people just will not talk about today. Here's Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says the first account I composed about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven. So what we have, first of all, is the key point of all the teachings that were brought up to this point of him being taken up. You and I don't think much about that statement because we don't necessarily have a relevant grasp on the environment of what and when this was stated. They were so used to following Jesus at this point, listening by the hearing of their ears to to Jesus, most of them probably considered themselves faithful followers of Christ. That now something's being stated here to say we're about to enter a brand new era the first generation church. So he says, in regard to all these teachings, until the day when he he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Number one thing in Generation Z today is they do not want to what? They don't want to be told what to do, and they don't want to follow orders. This generation has already been classified by secular research as well as Christian research that this is the first generation they have ever seen where the percentage uh, ratio of them having to work for themselves is the highest they've ever seen in history. Now, that probably didn't do much to our listeners today, but I'm telling you, there is a great reason why this generation is in the position of not being told what to do, not listening to their parents, not listening to their pastors anymore, not listening to their school teachers, not listening. They have to formulate their own beliefs. It's called self-interpretation theology. When that took off in the 1960s, it literally corrupted the church. When self-interpreted theology 
took off, it literally corrupted the foundation of, of society's church. He goes on to say, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering. He walked the earth for 40 more years. Days. Days. And according to biblical history, which towns did he visit? Every single village and town he preached in before. Okay, now keep that historical picture in your mind as we go on to read this passage. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Well, didn't he do that before? Some of our greatest sermons that we use in teachings are him visiting these towns. So his primary objective would be to take these previous followers of him to what? Okay, so now he's laying the foundation going, okay, everyone listening, all of you who followed me before resurrection, I'm here today to tell you the exact same things. But if you need to see the hole in my side, come on up. If you want need to see my nail-pierced wrists, come on up. He is giving them proof because he understands how humans who function under the tree of knowledge and who are branches from the tree of knowledge, they understand they only truly believe from the heart what they see, which is the evidence he's addressing followers, not spirit-bearing witness indwelt bridal members. Which the only one at this point in time was himself. He was the only one filled with the Holy Spirit. Now one of the greatest mysteries I have thrown at God so many times, I'm embarrassed to say it. Why did Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was born in perfection, not of a seed of his father Joseph, and then chosen to be the chosen one, but born of the seed of the Heavenly Father, supernaturally conceived, born, having no sin inside his mortal flesh, is raised as a boy, becomes a man, and after he becomes a man at 13 years of age, he has to work for his father for 20 plus years, obeying his father. See, people don't understand in the timeline of history during this transitional period, is that Jesus could not go to serve his heavenly father until Joseph died. Do you get that little piece? You can't serve two masters. Joseph, his father, was literally removed from the face of the earth so Jesus can move his loyalty in his obedience to the Heavenly Father directly. And that's why Mary traveled with him everywhere he went. Because Joseph was not there. I can prove that to you in Hebrew culture. The son does not adopt the mother until the father is dead. 
This is a significant piece in history. So now his father dies, and he seeks out John the Baptist, this radical guy walking around in animal clothing. and I mean, this, this dude was weird. He ate locusts for lunch. He was giving hippies a run for the money. He was giving hippies a run for the money. But he was hated by everyone. From the kings and queens all the way down to the people watching him in the water. And who does Jesus seek out? The crazy one. And he sees John, and of course, this John happens to be the same one when both of them were in the womb. And the two mothers stood by each other, and what happened? The, the babies were like, that, that won't go on the podcast. Yeah, we talk about abortion. Kind of adds a different perspective to God being in control of the anointing of children, not at conception, as God said to Jeremiah, for I knew you before you were born. I knew you before you were literally translates out for us today as conceived. God knows before conception. So that's why birth control is murder. Now, taking that in, into, into light, you have these two moms standing next to each other and both of them, these babies, roll over in the womb saying, bro, I know you. Yeah, I know you too. Hey, we're going to do some awesome things together. And the Jesus baby goes, yeah, but you're going to lose your head over the deal. (laughs) And John the baby says, yeah, but you're going to have to pay for everyone's sins. Now, they didn't have that dialogue really, but they knew from their formation of God. So did the mothers. So here's their reunion. And I don't think they had to go out for coffee and get to know each other again. <laughs> they knew that this, this moment was set aside for John to baptize Jesus. Can you imagine baptizing Jesus? John didn't want to. Yes, yeah, like too holy of a moment. And Jesus goes down into the water and John is obedient to the Father, of course, because he certainly wasn't obedient to Jesus yet. They were both functioning under the Heavenly Father as they were going through their childhood. They were both functioning under the Heavenly Father as they were being trained. So he gets baptized and he comes out of the water. And Jesus did not, that's capital N-O-T, he did not turn around and say, Yo, thanks bro for the baptism. And walk away. There was the third. The triune of belief. See, step one is, I believe that you're John the Baptist, and I believe God has appointed you for this hour, and I believe, I believe, I believe, John. That started when they were babies. Those two babies going, I believe. Jesus, I believe. There was a spirit Bearing witness. So Jesus comes out of the water. He gets on the shore of the Jordan. 
and what happens. The first filling and indwelling Christian on the face of the earth. All references to spirit in the past are references to external oppression or deliverance. This is the first. First indwelt one. When did Jesus' ministry begin? I would have loved being the first person in front of him. Hi! (laughs) And to have him start ministering to me? When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, it all begins. And then we can include all those fun little details. Like with Paul when he said, No, I'm going to leave you blind. Until. And I find that fascinating. There's a sermon coming up on Paul going blind. On why he left him blind as long as he did. And what happens immediately. Instantly. After Ananias restored his sight. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. This blindness, this confusion, this dark stuff has got to stay in place without your medications, without your psychological labels, without your cultural beliefs. You have to stay in darkness until your eyes are opened and you are filled with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the first account... That is being referenced here at the beginning part of our passage. Jesus was bringing forth all of the Christ followers who were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit like he was. He too had to fulfill such a requirement. So now the number one term used in culture today by churches, ministries alike is follower of Christ. Satan has taken that phase of Christ followers. They believe, but they're not indwelt. And he made a movement out of it almost 2,000 years later that I battle with internet communicators day in and day out and day in and day out Mostly getting rejection of them saying, how could you say a Christ follower is not a Christian? Easy. Are you ready for a journey? And if they're not, I won't dialogue with them anymore. If they are willing, we take a a walk down Romans Road together. These were Christ followers. Literally, that term is used by these teachers. They were Christ followers followers. And Jesus is going back to all of these communities saying, now listen, because all of what I taught you, I'm letting you see with your own eyes. I am opening your blindness. You thought when I died, the teachings died. I am here to tell you today, I'm alive. Come up and touch me if you want. What I said to you is being proven, which is literally one of the Greek words that are used. 
So the Holy Spirit gave Jesus orders to give the, to the apostles. Well, you know, I hate to play the devil's advocate on a lot of scriptures, but you guys know my style of studying the scriptures is the verse that I'm studying. I always write it opposite in my notes. And therefore it reveals the tactic of the enemy. So if Jesus makes a statement that he began to teach them what they should know, it would be, so Satan began to reverse what Jesus was teaching them, creating doubt. That's why he showed up. He understood the methodology that Satan uses as reverses the scriptures, reverses the truth, and puts an emphasis on words that don't bring deliverance. It's what he did to Eve, did he not? Did God not say to you? And then he twisted several Hebrew words. And she believed it. And ate from the bad vineyard. And became a member of the bad vineyard. Now it's Adam's turn. Well, I can't do it because he's immovable in his walk with the Father. But I know who I can go through is the one who feeds him. See, it was not a surprise for Adam to take food from his wife. And so he eats openly, freely. He already had open eyes and his eyes went dark. And he too became a part of this bad vineyard. So the orders were given by Jesus to the apostles. When did he give these orders to them? On the ascension day. The ascension moment. They were all curious. The whole deal was coming to a close. Peter in particular was extremely curious. Where is this gift that you promised us? And if you go back and read the passage of the great day of ascension, you'll see this, this strict order given to them, which turned them from disciples to apostles. That's why there's a change in terms used in the writings. Disciple, following Christ. Apostle, worker in Christ. Apostle also happens to be the term that is used to those who warn you of the great apostasy. So there was prophetic things being given to them that they thought was going to happen immediately. Like he was going to immediately restore Jerusalem. And, and, and. No, that's not what he was about to do. That would be in the final end times. Number two, when it says these, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering. By many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. And speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Since the Holy Spirit didn't bear witness with them before. You have to adopt the theology that 
You can't be an indwelt Christian unless you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. If you have problems with that theology at 602-292-2982, then not only are you covertly confessing you might not be an indwelt Christian, in other words, born again was a term that was used in the late 1600s. However you want to label this authentic Christianity of yours, this becomes your true test of the Spirit that we were talking about earlier. You see, the Spirit of truth bears witness to truth being spoken. If the Spirit of truth is being spoken and it creates a rebel response inside your soul, the test is complete. That doesn't mean you're unsaved. But the test is complete on what spirit you've been listening to all this time because you're hearing authentic truth right out of the scriptures and you're saying, oh, that's, that's, that was cultural then. That was the stuff we're hearing today is this testing of this spirit they have been listening to. We need to understand that all of these people who listened by the hearing of their ears to Jesus and were following him around from town to town, you need to understand there was no spirit within them bearing witness with this truth that was coming out of this man's mouth. But they believed. They believed him. This guy's telling the truth. So now he's coming back to these people saying, you got the belief part down. But now we need to move it beyond belief. And I'm about to show you the pathway of accomplishing this. So proof of purchase is in his blood. He needed to show them his blood. He needed to show them the hole in his side. Remember one of the disciples who got labeled doubting Thomas? They're all probably suffering with some doubts. Well, he came and he's gone. He's dead. Well, there's rumors that he came back to life, but I haven't seen it. Well, he didn't reject him. He, he understood Satan's technique is that seeing is believing. Only believe what you see. So therefore, Satan can replicate healings. He could replicate miracles. He could replicate, you see? Because he he knows. Seeing is believing. So the emphasis got put on the miraculous for Satan's movement of the church. And Jesus is saying, Oh, I understand seeing is believing. So come and check me out because when I'm gone in a few days, it's over. Everything will be by faith. For signs and wonders are for the weak. So he's moving the people from sight living and believing to faith living and believing. But he totally understood that this could not happen until they had the indwelling life of Christ. So he revisited all these towns and he preached, revealing the proof of his resurrection. He set all these observers up for the kingdom of God. 
you know, the thing I rejoice in the most is that I am in the kingdom of God. You see, Colossians 3 talks about those who have been born again or received the Holy Spirit are seated at the right hand of God. That is not a prophecy of what's going to happen after you die. It is what happened on the day you received the Holy Spirit. Why is that true? Because the Holy Spirit sits at the right hand of God and carries out all of the orders. Do you understand that? That is the role of the Holy Spirit is to carry out the orders. That's why the Holy Spirit has to be put inside you so you carry out the orders of the living God through Christ Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. You are literally walking out the fulfilled law of Jesus Christ from the indwelling. He paved such an easy pathway that the stupidity of a culture today has literally whitewashed and erased the indwelling message of Jesus Christ. As of yesterday, this theologian and I spent a great deal of time talking about how the missional movement has destroyed and corrupted the church completely. Doing nice things for people, but not introducing them on the how to be a part of the kingdom of God. He is about to show these people how to become a kingdom child. So we're still in the phases. Three gathered them together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Well, what's he got to do commanding for? Couldn't he have suggested it? Well, you know, I've been through communication training seminars. I've taught communication seminars. And one of the things they teach you in the training of training others in proper communication is never mandate someone, suggest it. The Christian term that's used is called encourage them to obey God. Encourage them to follow these scriptures Implore them. What happened to just command? Well, if you live in a culture when you hear the term command or obey or slave or bond slave to Christ or any of the terms that were used by Jesus Christ himself and his first generation apostles... You go do your own Bible research and find out how many times command is in the New Testament. Or the word orders. Or mandates. Whatever your translation is, it's got to come up with some kind of word that says, this isn't optional. I can't have you leaving Jerusalem. Now you guys can play kickball if you want. Or you can sit around and, and, and munch on some non-leavened bread. Whatever you want to do, it's just, but don't leave Jerusalem. Why is this? Got a present for you. <laughs> I got a present for you. I'm going to give you a history changer. I'm going to give you the new covenant church. I'm going to give you the new way of salvation. I'm going to give you the new life. 
I'm going to give you my very nature. I'm going to make you branches of the great vine. I'm going to transfer you over to the tree of life. I'm going to give you eternal blessings that are beyond anything your little human minds can come up with sitting around as you're eating those non-leavened chips. (laughs) That's what I'm going to do for you. No, he doesn't clarify the why. He says, don't leave Jerusalem. That requires one word answer. Okay. Add a few on to it if that makes you more comfortable. Well, that sounds logical. Well, I've been able to trust you before. I think, now that I'm seeing you with my own eyes. Um, okay, gotcha. I'll stay in Jerusalem. No, it was just, yes, Lord. If they even said anything. You don't need your child to say, yes, mommy, I'll obey you. It's better for the mommy to see the child do what they were asked to do without saying a single word. Actions of obedience is the proof that Jesus was presenting to the people. I did what my father asked me to do. And it was costly. And I'm still here. It was proof of obedience on Jesus' part. And now he's saying to these apostles, you better listen. Every place you're standing, every word you're about to speak, first needs to come under the command. Then the Spirit will come. And the Spirit will fill these people. And they shall have signs and wonders pouring out of them so quickly that everyone who is listening are going to think they went insane. And then after that, don't worry about it. They're going to hate you as they have hated me. All nations will hate you. Well, that's not a real good package, so he didn't tell him all those details. He just said, stay in Jerusalem. So he gathered the first generation of leaders, and then Jesus sets them up for the promise, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Even as they walk from the ascension to the night of Pentecost was perfectly timed. And then when the Holy Spirit fell down upon the leaders, you know, we've seen cartoons, we've seen paintings, we've seen whatever, this little fire on top of the head. Now, did a little flame actually appear above their heads? Well, I could care less, honestly. Because I know what the Greek is for Holy Spirit. It's purifying fire. And they were filled up with this. That terminology was used. They were filled up with the Spirit. So much so, if you look at the Greek in filled, 
you'll see to capacity to overflow. It became so apparent they were filled and possessed with something so powerful it began to overflow. And according to the scriptures, it tells us that they started what? Speaking in tongues. We're going to do a whole message just on the tongues. Because that was not a spirit language. Every single nation, quote unquote, every single nation was represented in this place. And they didn't speak Hebrew. They didn't speak Greek. They all had their own languages from the Tower of Babel. God was bringing them all the people right back to the Tower of Babel. And he was giving a special gift to these now apostles to communicate what is about to be communicated to every single person in that room in their own quote-unquote, language. And they were, quote-unquote, amazed. You can't have an indwelt person make the decision to receive the Holy Spirit until you are amazed at its power. That's when you get saved. I am amazed. Which comes from amazing. Beyond the mind. So outside of Jesus, keep in mind that the first indwelling was Jesus. So his indwelling, you have all these people, he's going to give the same gift that motivated him in three and a half years of ministry to fill and overflow out of the apostles. And now the apostles are going to begin to perform the same way that Jesus did out of overflow, amazing to overflow over here at the Apostles, amazing others. That's what was happening. In front of 7,000 people, something amazing was being observed, and maybe God did put a little flame on top of each of their heads. I don't know. So that they could see it. But what matters to me I know exactly what was going on inside their souls, what was burning in their bosom. I get it every day. And that has to come out, cannot be contained. So number four, when it says, so when they had come together, they were asking him, Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? Well, like all humans, they were going like, man, this... This is going to happen tomorrow. You know, Herod's going to fall on his face and start worshiping Jesus and all of Rome will be converted into the Catholic Church. (laughs) Okay, maybe not. Even though that's what happened. Do you see how the enemy does it? The fastest growing movement that we have ever seen in world history is Christians multiplying. You think the Muslims are good at it? They take a backseat to us. Now it has slowed down significantly in the Muslim population. It's sped up. And there's a reason for that culturally. 
There's a reason behind the true indwelled authentic Christians not speaking of this anymore. They use the book of Acts as, well, that's the Pentecost book. That's for the charismatics. How many times have we heard that? I could do a survey in this room. I'm not a betting man, but I would lay some money on it that not more than one or two of you have thoroughly studied the book of Acts. It is called by theologians around the world as the great transitional gospel. And they are correct. It was the transition from following to indweltism that was going to literally create this movement cannot be stopped by Satan himself. So when that last soul before tribulation moment occurs, that last soul, whoever it is, I want to shake their hand. I want to hug their face. I want to embrace that brother or sister. To be the last, they're going to be the first. To hang on to that one last soul who got it of what was spoken of in the book of Acts and demonstrated through the remainder of the New Testament. Number five, he said to them, it is not for you to know these things or these epods which the Father has fixed by his own authority. We're in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. But you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, might be why they weren't supposed to go anywhere, and then all in Judah, in Samaria, and even to the remote parts of the earth. So times and events is what the human mind wants to focus on. Being an eschatology guy, I'm asked fairly frequently, well, do you think that Jesus is coming back in this generation? Do you believe there's going to be another era? Do you believe, see, people are hunting for September 24, 2027, that Jesus is going to come back. If anyone gives you a date, call them a liar, minimally in your mind. Because Jesus himself is not told that date. And that's right out of the book of Revelation. There are certain things a father keeps away from his busy gossiping humans. And the time stamping of when he's going to do things is one of them. Because we have the tendency to manipulate, plan, and prepare for God's events. He didn't want that. He wants it by faith. So times are fixed by, as the passage says, the Father's authority. So the enemy has got to do this reverse thing. The enemy has got to get rid of the potency of authority in the church today. Do you understand that out of 18,000 denominations, that 75% of those denominations, the pastors are voted in and out by democracy of the people in the church. The people have full control of authority and localized function. 
It has completely removed God putting apostles in place to be immovable until they're dead. And that's how we function. I don't like him anymore. Let's put in Pastor Bertha. She's more kind and, and generous and, and compassionate and whatever. So the church has literally gone from an authoritative structure that Jesus can say, stay in Jerusalem. This is a commandment to, well, I suggest we look at getting a different pastor who's not quite so prophetic. I vote for that. He annoys me. And they are moved out. The apostles and the teachers of profound immovable truths are moved out into the streets. Well, you guys know my thinking. Then I'll preach in the streets. My old mentor and boss asked me, you need to answer this question for me if you're going to work for me. What happens if they take away our fancy building here? What happens, what happens, what happens? And I hesitated. And after that hesitation, he said, allow me to tell you what I will do. He points outside of his window and he says, I will preach on the sidewalk until they kill me. And I believed him. And as we have recently found out, that's exactly how he lived his life. The loud prophets end up on the street and the compliant ones end up in the buildings. And this is what happened to Europe. It's what happened to the Catholic Church that got formed out of this Christian movement. It is how history functions. If you're hired and controlled by the people, you get the building. If you can't be controlled by the people, you're on the street. Well, that is to be expected. Jesus himself said it in our passage in our discussion. For all nations will hate you as they have hated me. We are being given this unbelievable gift called the Holy Spirit. And this power is so powerful that for some reason, which we're going to pick up next week, starting on why power intimidates people, why absolute truth intimidates people, because it is literally the black thread that Satan weaves through cultures and generations, and that is, don't tell me what to do. And once that becomes an average way of you thinking, don't tell me what to do, I can vote you out of this church. Don't tell me what to do. I can social post you until they impeach you. Don't tell me what to do because I can, I can, I can, I can. It becomes an eye-centered culture. And you must understand in eschatology, Satan will not show his face for the tribulation until the entire world is eye-centered. And who will not submit to the apostles of the land. Thus coming out of the great apostasy, 
he will introduce himself to an entire world as a complacent pluralist who believes in everyone's beliefs. And then three and a half years into the tribulation, something very crazy happens. Satan goes from an eclectic leadership style to you will only listen to me. And if you don't, not only will you die, but we're going to torture you unto death. Slowly. So it always comes back to authority. Always. Satan knows it. God is it. He is the ultimate authority. And then finally, number six, this is Acts 9, uh, chapter 1, 9 through 11. He says, and after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And those are called well-dressed Pharisees from town. <laughs> but definitely white clothing stood there, uh, associates them with angelic beings from heaven. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking at the sky? Can you imagine these guys? Uh, I... I kind of understand where these guys are coming from at this point. He left without giving us our gift. What did he say? Come on! Mouth's hanging open, going like, where did he go? He just spent three and a half years telling them where he was going to go. But no, they didn't believe him. Now, I would have liked to just went, well, he's gone, boys. Let's go. There's Pentecost coming up here. See, Pentecost was not a New Testament term. Pentecost is the day after Passover. It's a Jewish tradition. But on Pentecost, he was going to do this great work and give them their gift. Jesus strategically planned his departure. I mean, carefully walking through every town and getting the message, and then to the cross, and then they all leave him except for John and his mother, and this whore who became whole. You know, that messes with my mind. And now all these guys are standing there on a hill, not so far away. They're standing on this hill and, you know, he demonstrated the 40 days. You think that was just for the Christ followers? They were Christ followers. They themselves are still in disbelief. But he confirms. Peter is now confirmed. And then Thomas, and then he just locked them all in, turned them into apostles very soon on Pentecost, going from this disciple follow mode to this apostle worker mode. It was just perfect setup. Then he walks up to the hill that was pre-appointed before the planet was even put here. Everything's in place. The two angels are ready. They're like going... 16 seconds, hang on. Right to the very appointed moment, Jesus ascends and disappears. The mouths 
drop. And everything that they were told had been fulfilled. There's only one step next, folks. Listener, listen to this very carefully. There is only one more thing to happen. That each of those disciples received the same power Jesus had to preach, cast out demons, and heal, and do miracles. Underline preach, because we don't see the others today. When I asked you guys how many miracles you've been a part of, our response was very, very few. When I asked about who has raised someone from the dead, there was only one hand that went up. And I can go on and on and on and on and on and on. They are drifting into nothingness. Now everything is by a book. Bible studies, workbooks, knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Always learning but never able to come to the full, full knowledge of Jesus' truth. Now I want to go back to the old days. And I want to see, experience the filling and overflow of the Holy Spirit and all the authentic body members in Jesus Christ. Those two angels appearing literally closed the loop and gave them a suggestion, an encouragement. No. Those two angels rebuked them. Men of Galilee, men of Jesus, What are you doing here, folks? Why are, why are you gazing into the sky? Now, if you think that that was just some kind of comment a couple angels were making because they didn't get it, you're not understanding the context of this passage. These angels are going, gentlemen of Jesus, why are you looking in the sky? You got your marching orders. Go. Well, I have to pray about that. You know, I'm going to have to do a Bible study on that one. Now you want me to work? That's what you get today. I don't know. I'm just not seeing it. As a guy said to me yesterday, I'm just, sorry, I'm just not seeing it. Well, you're blind, bro. If if you're not seeing the power of the Holy Spirit, you're, you're blind. It's all around us. Those angels closed that loop, gave some final marching orders, and thank God, in Christ Jesus, they followed it. But see, the compassion in this whole story today is not only the fact that This was closing the transitional gospels, closing the loop in it. It was opening the gate to the new covenant form of salvations. Believe, follow, then become indwelt. The triune doctrines of becoming a child of the living God 
after the night of Pentecost. The entire rest of the New Testament is written on the testimonies of what happened to all of these first-generation Christians in Dewalt Christians after Pentecost. You Pentecostals better get on your knees and repent. Because this was not a phase in Jesus' teaching for you to write your names personally on the miraculous gifts and manifestations of a spirit. You see, the Baptists held to John the Baptist's doctrines. The Pentecostals held on to the night of Pentecost. The Catholics held on to the era before his crucifixion. Do you see what has happened? The enemy is formed denom. Beliefs on different phases instead of looking at the full picture. And that's what that diagram is for in your notes. If you're listening via podcast, you'll see a little PDF button there. Click on it. It'll take you to a link where you can print off the notes that we've been teaching on today. We are very, very, very excited about our Abiding Life series. Next week, we're going to be talking about something that is rather significant in regard to the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that is, what was really that first generation like? Why did they end up hiding in the catacombs in Rome and other places? Why were they so hated? What happens to a person who senses someone hates them? Do they choose relationship over truth? Or do they choose truth over relationship? That they're willing to lose their father and mother and brother and sister and anyone else for that sake, for the sake of the gospel. Is that still alive and prevalent today? I'm going to show you statistics that it is not. What is behind the whole digitizing sin thing? Which many of you read the article that came out on that is that he turned the entire world into a pluralistic, multi-pathway to God to avoid one simple thing that Satan does not want you to understand. Faith without works is dead. And you can't have works unless someone tells you what to do. And you're not going to listen to what someone tells you what to do unless you have someone in your life who is a leader, your father, your school teacher, your pastor, whoever. How can you guide a people without asking them to do things? Because truly, your faith is worthless if there's no works connected to it. And I'm not the one that said that. So if you say, oh, I totally believe in that verse, you're going to have a long discussion at 602-292-2982 about who you're working for. What spirit are you listening to? Where are you getting your marching orders? Who's speaking in your ear? And who are you enslaved to, as our message last week? Are you enslaved to sin? And as he went on to say, 
whoever you're enslaved to, you must obey them. So whether you're on the unrighteous side or the righteous side, I'm telling you, you are listening and obeying somebody. There are no true defiant people in the world. Everyone is obedient to A or B. You're either obeying Satan, tree of knowledge, or you're obeying Christ, tree of life. There's no third tree, folks, called self-life tree. There is no third tree. So Satan has really twisted us up. I close with this statement. The transitional phase of setting the stage of the new covenant gospel had to be closed. The ascension accomplished this. The two angels opened the vision and hope of eschatology, which created a passion to finish their marching orders with endurance. Within days of this event, the eleven will receive the same power that Jesus himself used in his ministry. Of course, that's by way of the Holy Spirit. Once they receive the Holy Spirit, each will be empowered with Christ's words through the indwelling mind of Christ. From this, they will preach the gospel, work miracles in order to prove to the world that Christ Jesus remains real, active, and powerful. But this time, through those who have received the Holy Spirit by way of indwelling salvation. As each born again walks in their new life, they will have supernatural abilities to endure reproaches and persecutions, to face and oppose their enemies, profess the name of Christ, abide in his truth, and release Christ himself through their mortal vessels. Only human task that is asked of a new convert is expected devotion, service to survive opposition and difficulties, and to spread the gospel, his gospel, all over the world through any biblical means possible. I admire Stephen in the New Testament probably more than many of the others, and it's probably because his death was detailed. I think if I had a detailed description of Peter's death outside, he got crucified upside down, which was his choice, I would admire others. But I have said to the Lord recently in writing a new article on Stephen's life is that I want to go as he went. Not necessarily by the stones, But, Lord, that's how I want to go. I want to see with my own internal eyes Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of God, and I am there with him. And that as the stones are coming, I see nothing outside of the glory of God. Because what that told me is the last box given to us of Jesus saying, number one, you shall know them by their, you shall know them by their love, you shall know them by their deeds, you shall know them by their fruit, which 
We have a sermon online that shows you the fruit is very different than the deeds. And then number four is those who endure to the end, those shall be saved. That story of Stephen tells me that is the closing, that ascension mark, that closing comment of God saying to us, it got written down, it got passed through the generations so that this Stephen could read that story and God say, for Stephen, he has shown the world and generations to come that those who endure to the end, those are the ones that will be saved. Now, does that mean you lose your salvation if you decide to freak out three hours before you die? No. God's the one that evaluates if you are faithful to the end in your heart and mind. But that's the way I want to go. Nothing on my mind, not my wife, not my children, not my grandchildren, not my great-grandchildren, not my friends, not this little church. Nothing on my mind besides I see what I have been preaching. And God says, say it, Stephen. What? Say it. What did, what did your Savior say on the cross? Say it. What was that? It's Father, I commence my spirit. Now you see that in testimonies. Book of the Martyrs. Father, I commence my spirit. That's exactly what Stephen said before he died physically. There's a lot of theology in that. We're going to talk about it. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling life of Jesus Christ to say what Stephen said when he made his transition to the final gospel of life and life abundantly. Thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to getting into the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and practically what that looks Looking forward to next time. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.